So do any of you ever have recurring dreams? The same dream over and over again, maybe once a year or so? It's really common, I do. I have a, the same dream about once a year. And in the dream, I am always back in college. And I haven't attended a class for months. I have no idea why. And it's usually something that would be really, really hard for me, like advanced calculus level four. So then one day, I show up at the class and sit in my seat, and I'm already anxious because I'm thinking to myself, you know, I haven't been coming to class, and I have no idea what's going on in here, and I'm thinking, I hope I can catch up. And then about that time, the professor goes to the front of the room and says, put everything under your desk and get out your number two pencils. It's time for the final exam. And internally, I just begin to panic. Like, I can feel my heart pounding in this dream, and I start beating myself up. You know, what were you thinking? Why have you not been going to class? You have no idea what's going to be on this test. You are going to fail. And then, thank goodness, about that time, I usually wake up in a cold sweat and give thanks to God that it is only a dream. Now, experts today would tell you that dreams like that are our mind's way of processing the stresses of life, that dreams like that are ways that our mind works out the things that we're afraid of, the struggles we're going through. Well, maybe so. But that's not the way dreams were seen in Jacob's day. In Jacob's day, dreams were actually seen as powerful channels of divine communication. In other words, in Jacob's day, a lot of people understood dreams to be messages from God. And this dream that Jacob has in our text is a doozy, isn't it? It's vivid and it's so rich in detail. Jacob dreams that there is a ladder connecting heaven and earth. Now, as an aside here, the word that is translated in our Bible here as ladder, many scholars say would be better translated as stairway, so yes, he's dreaming of a stairway to heaven. Any Led Zeppelin fans here? Okay, a few of you got that reference. He's dreaming of a stairway to heaven. So he's watching these angels go up and down the stairway. And then, incredibly, God himself, God Almighty, comes and stands next to Jacob in this dream and makes wonderful promises to him about his future. Now, that's an amazing dream, right? But I think what might be even more amazing here is the dreamer, that it's Jacob, of all people, who is given this message from God. Now, if you're not familiar with Jacob, he's the grandson of Abraham, the father of the Hebrew people, the one through whom God said all nations of the world will be blessed. But despite his lineage, Jacob is not really the honest, upstanding, pious young man that you might expect. Now, actually, Jacob's kind of a scoundrel. Yeah, he is. When we pick up our story today, he is on the run from his brother Esau. And the reason is because Esau, you see, was the older brother. And in that culture was entitled to what they called the birthright, which meant that he would inherit the lion's share of his father's estate upon the father's death. 
Jacob has stolen the birthright from Esau in a very sneaky way and kind of a terrible way because he does this in the long run by taking advantage of their elderly father and the fact that their father is blind. Not the most upstanding behavior, right? Well, Esau then is understandably furious. And Jacob, being mama's favorite, received advice from her to run for the hills. His plan is to run away and hang out with some relatives until Esau cools off. Poor Esau. Poor Esau. Man, what would Esau think if he knew about this dream given to Jacob by God, about this special message from God? I mean, Jacob has stolen the birthright, which was unbelievably important in that culture, and left Esau with nothing. And Esau's an upstanding guy, as far as we know. He's done nothing to deserve this. And then his rotten brother, who stole from him, has run out into the hills and finds himself between a rock and a hard place. He's literally sleeping with a rock or a pillow. And while he's out there, he is singled out by God for special treatment. I think Esau would be really upset, don't you? I mean, that's not fair, right? That's not fair at all. Jacob hasn't done anything to deserve that kind of special message from God. And yet, God seeks him out between a rock and a hard place and offers him hope. A vision of the future, promise of blessing, a new vision for himself. That seems rather upsetting, doesn't it? Well, if you find that upsetting, I hate to tell you. But this isn't the only time in Holy Scripture that God acts this way. Actually, there is a thread that runs throughout all of Holy Scripture that shows us a God of incredible grace and generosity it doesn't seem to be especially concerned with people earning or deserving things, but instead consistently, relentlessly seeks out those who are lost, those who are broken, those who have messed everything up. And then God offers them redemption, hope, and a future. Think about who Jesus hung out with for a minute. Who did Jesus hang out with? Well, he hung out with sinners, social rejects, tax collectors. The religious elite of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, did not understand this. It didn't seem fair at all. Those sorts of people didn't seem to deserve Jesus' attention, and it, it bothered them that he seemed to consistently hang out with people that everybody else in society worked studiously to avoid. They would gather in corners and whisper together, do you see who his friends are? Do you see who he's hanging out with? 
Did you see who he had dinner with? They were appalled. They did not understand. Even when Jesus said, look, I have come for the least and the last and the lost. I have come to save those who are drowning. The Pharisees just didn't understand. They they kept trying to hold on to this idea that God is most concerned with those who have done everything right and turns the divine back on those who mess everything up. And friends, I'm afraid that there are a lot of us today that think the same thing. Deep down, we are afraid that God is most concerned with those who do everything right. And that God is very, very consumed with earning and deserving, that we've got to earn or deserve God's blessing, redemption, hope, and a future. I've known very faithful people in my churches over the years, people who sat in the pew like you every week, who deep down were scared. They were scared for themselves and they were scared for people in their lives because God's generosity just didn't make any sense to them. Many years ago in another church on a Christmas Eve, the church was packed. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. It was a wonderful evening of worship and in between worship services, I was going out the door of the sanctuary into the narthex when I passed a woman who was leaning up against the wall there, and she reached out and grabbed the sleeve of my robe. And she said, can I talk to you? I really, really need to talk to a pastor. And I said, sure. So we went over in a corner of the narthex where we could hear one another, and she began to cry. Tears ran down her cheeks as she told me that she was worried about her brother. She loved her brother dearly. But she said her brother had made a series of very poor life choices. And he was spending that Christmas Eve in prison. Now, of course, that bothered her, but the reason she wanted to talk to me was because a neighbor of hers had told her that because of the things her brother had done, that God didn't love him anymore and that there wasn't any hope for her brother because God had turned God's back on him. And she said to me, do you believe this? Do you believe that God doesn't love my brother anymore because of the things that he has done? And I said, no. I don't believe that for one second. I do not believe that anyone is out of the reach of the love of our gracious God. I don't believe it. My friends, if you have ever wondered whether God still loves you or someone in your life because of the things that you or they have done, If you have ever wondered if you could possibly have hope in a future in God or if a loved one might have those things despite what has happened, even if they are between a rock and a hard place or you find yourself there and it's all self-inflicted, 
Well, then I think Jacob's story might offer you a definitive answer. You see, friends, God doesn't come to Jacob because Jacob deserves it. God comes to Jacob because God loves him, period. God is love. Love is who God is. And God consistently, relentlessly seeks out those who are between a rock and a hard place. God ceaselessly, relentlessly reaches out in love and forgiveness and redemption and offers hope in a future, especially to those the world writes off as undeserving. And this is why Jesus told parables like the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, which are all about a God who endlessly searches for the lost and rejoices when they are found. You see, God will come to us wherever we are, even between the rock and the hard place, and stand beside us. But friends, you've also heard that old saying that God meets us where we are but loves us too much to leave us there. God comes to us to be sure. But then God offers us a vision, hope in a future, a vision of who we can be and what our life can be about that is greater than anything we could dream for ourselves. And if we can embrace that and live into it, well, that means everything. It means more than anything in the whole world. Because that vision can truly change your life. One of my colleagues tells a wonderful story about an African queen who came to the United States on a goodwill tour. And one afternoon, she was going around visiting New York public elementary schools when she came into a classroom and noticed that there was a boy sitting apart from all the other children. He had his head down on a desk. It was clear that he was either in timeout or being punished in some other way. So the, the African queen asked the teacher about this boy. And the teacher said, ah, he's a bad kid. He's a really bad kid. Uh, he, he, he misbehaves all the time. He's never remorseful. Just doesn't seem to care, has a bad attitude, spends more time in the principal's office than in the classroom. Between you and me, He's never going to amount to anything. Well, then the African queen walked over to this boy and greeted him. And then she reached into her bag and pulled out a little scroll. And she said to this child, congratulations. This scroll makes you an honorary prince of my people. And then she went on to tell him how the princes of her people behaved, what kind of people they were. She said they were honest and upright. They were people who led in wisdom. They were examples for others. And then she gave the boy the scroll. And he said nothing but looked at her with wide eyes. Here's the really good part. 
A few months later, the queen calls the teacher and asks about the boy. And the teacher says, you're not going to believe this. But since your visit, I haven't had a single moment's trouble from him. See, as it turned out, the queen offered him a vision of who he could be. And he embraced that and lived into it and became the prince that she saw in him. And friends, that's essentially what happens to Jacob in the long run. This guy between a rock and a hard place who's acted so abominably and run off. God comes to him and stands beside him and invites him into a vision in which he can be a blessing And in the long run, that is exactly what Jacob becomes. Friends, I hope you'll hear me clearly today. God's primary business is not sitting around waiting for you to do something wrong so that God can keep score. God is not especially concerned with earning or deserving things. Now, God's primary business in the world is redemption. That's what God's up to all the time. In fact, Holy Scripture tells us, Behold, I make all things new, says the Lord. And that includes you and me and everyone we know and love. When you are between a rock and a hard place, even if it's self-inflicted, our most generous and loving and grace-filled God will come to you. In fact, that's when God is most apt to show up and extend the divine hand and offer redemption, vision, hope, and a future. Will you pray with me?